The servant walks. Be forewarned. Once the word is given, it cannot be undone. It is always listening. Always listening. Gallo Vector, Solemnus. The servant will hear it nevermore, for the true master is dead. And the beast runs free. <laughs> Vector Salaminos, Gut Buckets. This is Big Orange Couch, the 90s Nickelodeon podcast where we talk about all things 90s Nickelodeon. My name's Joey. I'm Andrew. And I am Max. And this is episode 191. We're talking Are You Afraid of the Dark? The Tale of the Guardian's Curse versus the Tale of the Silent Servant. Mm, I'm excited. (laughs) (laughs) Am am I the only one, though? (laughs) No. Are these known as good episodes? Uh, I think they're like considered sort of middling, maybe like toward better than middling. You know what I mean? Not not like top tier, but right under yeah. that maybe. Yeah, just better than average. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. okay. Um. Yeah, Andrew, you you we we were kicking around a bunch of uh, verses ideas, and this was one of the options. What what drew these two together for you? Uh, I just recognize, I mean, from what I remembered of them, I thought they were like very similar episodes and I think that proved true. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff, uh, in common. You got, um, I don't know, kind of like a curse slash spiritual monster element. Yeah. You got, uh, siblings with just a dad, which is interesting. (laughs) Um, and like kind of in both episodes it seems like the monster is like they play it like more like a jaws approach where it's not like yeah. always visible yeah definitely yeah that's that's exactly what i was thinking about that the jaws not quite on the level of jaws but <laughs> no? i don't think they pulled it no? off like uh, like spielberg did but... <laughs> um also i think they're very close in quality of episode like Shockingly close as I rewatched them. Yeah, not too far apart. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm actually, yeah, I'm, I'm legit excited. I'm excited because uh, it's always um, fun to judge. I, you guys have never been matched up before on a versus. And yeah. uh, I was thinking about it. I'm like, this is kind of like in baseball terms, it's what we call a pitcher's duel. You know, where it's going to be kind of like, I think both of you have a style where it's kind of like a slow grind out. You know, as opposed to like Melissa and Chris, where it's like a slugfest. You know what I mean? Where, where like you're you're just gonna be knocking home runs. Yeah. I, th- I think this is gonna be exciting—a battle of the minds. <laughs> Didn't I go against uh, Andrew for Doug and 
Hey Arnold, or is that against you? That was me, yeah. Okay. So I've done two, one against Melissa and then one against you, and I've I've I'm one one you're and one, one. You're one and one. Okay. That's right. Um, okay. Yeah. You know what? Um speaking of that uh that episode with Melissa that you did, what were the what were the episodes on that? Uh Dark uh, Dragon and Vacant Lot. Vacant Lot. Um since then I've decided that I don't know if I even talked or if we talked about like which episode we liked more but since then i think i definitely like vacant lot more yeah i think so too um <laughs> I, I think I had Ma- max one, had right? dark dragon he won yeah, yeah. Well, but, yeah. that's strong yeah. but chris chris judged that episode mm. okay yeah. well i mean that may just be a testament to his uh arguing i yeah. uh no I max mean, after the max brings it win yeah, after the first win, I um I was feeling really good, and then really I thought I should have easily won that second one against you there, um, Joe, and you crushed easily. It. And you had you had the no, I'm saying that like I had the easier hand dealt to me, and oh. I, I still lost. Mm-hmm. So I'm not feeling too confident right now. No, oh Max, I want you pumped up. I want you going for blood. That's what the, <laughs> that's what the listeners want. They want right. to hear you, they want to hear you guys scrape. Yeah, I can take Do it. it. <laughs> Um, but we can't do it yet because uh, there's a little segment we need to get to, which is called Taking It to the Max. Are you ready, Max? Oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Shoot. Okay. I. You know what? I've done this a couple times now, and every time I go back and listen, I just think, man, I, I answered I just didn't do too well on these, but yes, I'm ready. All right. Well, Godspeed. Um, here we go. What's the best type of museum? Uh, natural history. <laughs> okay. Did you hear me? Uh, Egypt or Iowa? In Egypt. Great. Turtlenecks or baggy t-shirts? Turtlenecks. Wow. Yeah. Do you, will you, you own some turtlenecks? I own, uh, it's like a, uh, collar that's like a turtleneck but then there's a slit in the middle in the front middle i don't know no i don't own a, a full-on turtleneck well there's no doubt you look good all right um have you ever snuck into a movie yes oh a lot quite a bit yeah and i also wow. um i also dig into the trash and i get a large popcorn and then i get a large <laughs> soft drink i go to the restroom i rinse out the soft drink and then i take both of those to the counter and get myself a refill. No, you don't. 100% every time. <laughs> that like made me sort of nauseous. <laughs> get myself a free large pop. I mean, that's illegal. I haven't been to a movie in a long time. This is like when I was, a, you know, 20s. <laughs> so like what? Like two years ago? <laughs> like three, four years ago. I, yeah. Wow. Man. Oh, man. Digging through the trash. Betty yeah. Ann. You make, you make Betty Ann sick. All right. Uh, skiing or baseball game? Skiing. Would you rather sleep in a barn or a museum? A barn. Uh, well, I guess you kind of already answered this question. I was going to say, have you ever stole something? Well, that wasn't a steal. I think I think you're stealing from the theater. Well, I'm using somebody else's refill. Um, I also, when I was a when I was in high school, I used to I, similar thing. 
but I would wear something into the Goodwill and put that on the rack and then take something from the Goodwill. <laughs> oh, jeez. So it was like a trade system. It was a bad, I was a, I was a troubled youth. You are a psychopath. Okay. This Goodwill's so expensive that you had to <laughs> was, do that. I was a troubled youth. Yeah. All right. Uh, on a scale from one to ten, how good is your dad? My dad? <laughs> your dad. <laughs> a ten. Good. Why not? All right. All right. Uh, what was the last good movie you watched? Last good movie that I watched, oh, shoot, uh, uh, Goodfellas for the first time. Oh, yeah, it's incredible. Great yeah, yeah. Uh, do you? Would you rather wake up early or stay up late? Ooh, both. Um, no, uh, I guess <laughs> wake up, uh, stay up late. Perfect. Uh, if your name wasn't Max, what would it be? Ooh, um, uh, oh shoot, I don't know. Uh, Matt. <laughs> Interesting. A lot of people I talk to on the phone call uh, phone call me Matt, anyways. So. <laughs> All right, Matt. And finally, uh, are you afraid of the dark? Not really, no. Okay, great, perfect. You did great. Thanks. <laughs> Except now you think I'm a low life. Uh, no, we already thought that. Yeah. Well, not- <laughs> I, no, I didn't think that, but digging through the trash for popcorn refills is like kind of a different level of. Uh, I, don't know. I I'll defend him just by saying that of all the things you could dig out of the trash, a popcorn tub's probably like the least gross. Think of it like this: people are leaving leaving the movie theater and they're just throwing out their popcorn. It's right on top of the trash. You're, You're just... not like digging deep down. I mean, no, it's right outside of the movie. Uh, like, you know, like when you enter into the movie, there's usually pops and there's uh, and popcorns in there. So they're yeah. just used. Yeah. And then I get myself a new straw and a new lid when I take back the refill for the soda. Right. They don't okay. question you. What happened to that lid and straw? I don't think I've been, I think I've been questioned. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> all right well thanks for playing along max uh, i think i think you i think you did pretty well hey thanks all right we'll let the listeners decide um great. <laughs> uh before we get into this epic versus uh last week we did our or last time around we did our presidential cabinets which was a, a lot of fun to think about um we posted our picks and we had people vote on uh, the official cabinet so are you guys ready to hear the results oh yeah oh yeah all right uh, in no particular order, really. Uh, Secretary of Housing and Urban Development uh, went to your pick, Andrew, uh, Marshall Darling. Mm. Love it. Yeah. Yep. Our Secretary of Def- uh, I'm sorry. Our Secretary of Homeland Security went to Tim's pick, Little Pete. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Um, our Secretary of Labor uh, was my pick, Clarissa Darling. Mm. Uh, Secretary of Interior was both Andrew and I's pick, uh, Eliza Thornberry. Secretary of State was also both Andrew and I's pick in Mo. Moira Cork, is that her name? Yeah. Uh, Our closest race of all of them was Secretary of Veterans Affairs, which was Grandpa Phil versus Grandpa Stu. Uh, And Grandpa Stu won, which was your you and Tim's pick, uh, by one boat. Wow. Yes. Yeah, really close. Uh, Secretary of Treasury went to Tim's pick, uh, Keenan Rockmore. Secretary of Transportation, you and Tim, uh, bus driver Stu, of course. Mm. I didn't have a chance there. 
Um, Secretary of Agriculture, Andrew, your pick, Lucy. Ooh, nice job. Uh, my my pick for Secretary of Defense one, which was Artie. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, Tim's pick for Secretary of Commerce one, which was Bobby uh, Budnick, who we'll talk a little Whoa. bit about today. Yeah. Uh, our Attorney General was also Tim's pick with Doug. I like it. And uh, our Secretary of Education was Andrew and I's pick, uh, Linda Ellerby, of course. Oh, yeah. Come on. <laughs> no offense to Edwin Carmichael. Uh, our Secretary of Ed- Ed- Energy was um, Tim and I's pick, which was Annie Mack. Mm. Um, our Secretary of Health and Human Services was my pick, Dr. Lucy Carmichael. Nice. Our Vice President uh, was Andrew's pick, Stick Whoa, Sticky. Yes. <laughs> By a by a lot, it was, I think it was one of the largest blowouts. Wow! Yeah, yes. so Whoa. so a stick will be the vice president, and drum roll. Oh boy! Uh, went to Tim's pick, Ellen Hickel. Wow! Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. yeah. So uh, it's I think it's exactly half guys, half girls. Wow! Some animation, some live action, a stick. Uh, <laughs> We have everything. Yeah. Those are those are good picks. Yeah. Well, maybe the best, you know, best yeah, of all I, worlds. Yeah. I, I, we've already gotten some messages of people, uh, you know, saying stop the steal. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I think I think it was fair and square. And uh, I think that's a healthy cabinet. Uh, we, yeah. we appreciate everybody voting. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. All right. Uh, Andrew, do you want to talk about the topics you and Max are going to be uh, debating today in Versus? Yeah, we're going to be debating story, scariness, characters, monsters, and the Midnight Society. Mm. Classic. Yeah. All right. Are you guys ready for some verses? Did you watch both episodes? Yes, I've watched both episodes. Uh, okay, all right. I just I mean, yeah, maybe I'm not the I best person for it, I'm at least going to watch both episodes. Okay, all right. All right. <laughs> I would have nothing to talk about. Just... <laughs> I, I, I definitely, like, assumed, of course you watched your own, but I could see yeah. you maybe, like, trying to, like... Oh, my God. Yeah, like, that you guys me. <laughs> All right. Oh, uh, perfect. Okay. Well, um, I, uh, I'd like, of course, to, to start with story, just in case people haven't watched these episodes in a while, to kind of refresh people what each of these episodes is about, yeah. why your episode's better. Andrew, why don't you get us started with story? Sure. Um, so my episode, The Tale of the Guardian's Curse, is about uh, a couple kids who have an archaeological... Um, professor father who is busy all the time and they're they're getting ready to go on a vacation but the dad's so busy working that he has to cancel it my god where did you find it it was hidden behind a false wall must have been sealed there for decades unless i'm mistaken it's 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 from the egyptian temple of light that was robbed in 1921 Uh, yes quite we have to get this to my lab now. <laughs> Here, 
know what this means, right? Yeah. No vacation. No skiing. No life. Uh, but meanwhile, they get wrapped up in this mummy that was discovered behind a wall inside the museum uh, that's been missing for decades. Um, and the kids find uh, these secret artifacts inside the mummy case and accidentally bring the mummy to life. So as the mummy chases them around, um, they eventually make their way over back to the museum and we discover that, in fact, oh, excuse me, the um, their father was kidnapped from their house. So they go back to the museum to find him and um, they discover that his colleague, Dr. Cable Smith, was actually responsible for kidnapping the dad. Um, and he wants the artifacts for himself. But the kids trick him into using one of the artifacts wrong, and he ends up turning into a stone statue. And the, then we find out that the mummy is, in fact, good. And she presents herself, and they bring her back to life to live in the modern-day world. Yeah, Mina, right? Hmm. Yeah. Did you watch your episode? <laughs> <laughs> what, did he miss something? <laughs> he wasn't kidnapped. What do you mean? He went he went into the uh he went to the museum and he was got him with chloroform when he went there. He didn't get kidnapped. Oh yeah, you're right. You're right. My bad. Oh my gosh. Okay. <laughs> Their house was a mess because Dr. Cable Smith was there. Okay. All right. He Thank definitely, you, Max, for, he definitely, thank you, Max, for correcting me. That was so rude on, on my part. <laughs> no, go for blood. Um, yeah, he definitely broke and entered. Uh, yeah. yeah, but he wasn't kidnapped. And also the mummy wasn't chasing them around. Well, that's what we're supposed to believe, though. Oh, yeah. Like, sure. yeah. Okay, sorry. You can... You can okay. That out. So, uh, no, no, no. Don't worry about it. Uh, so, um, just my take from this episode, I think it starts out with a bang with the discovery of a hidden museum chamber containing the lost sarcophagus. What is that thing? Sweet mother of pearl. Yeah, it looks like it's uh, from Egypt or something. Uh, some kind of tool. Ain't these things supposed to have curses on them or something, huh? Get out of here. You watch too many movies. Which is just something that I maybe I'm just a sucker for, but I love this like um, hidden object that has been lost and rediscovered. Um, the episode is really fast paced, uh, so much so that at first I was like thinking, man, this is almost going too fast. I was waiting for mistakes to crop up because of it, but ultimately it um, brought every ultimately it like felt good throughout. Uh, even though it feels like it's constantly moving, like all the story elements kind of came together nicely still. Um, in particular, I thought uh, I was kind of expecting the mummy to show up way too soon, to feel like it was, the mummy was showing up way too soon to the museum um, since it moved so slow. But as I was watching this, I realized a lot of time passes between the time they wake the mummy and the time it shows up. So... I felt actually pretty good about that. Um, I think it hits a pretty good balance between like feeling like an adventure and with scary moments. Um, it's got like a, it has that 
that thing that's in some Are You Afraid of the Dark episodes where, like, the non-scary stuff feels really um, comfortable or something. Like, the music is really nice, and I don't know, it feels very real. Um, I think it successfully creates the illusion of the world in the story being bigger than what we actually see on the screen, um, especially thanks to the Egyptian lore that they admittedly kind of make up in this episode. Um, I think uh, the items are really cool and they weave them into the story really well. So they're, they have a purpose um, and it's pretty clear. I think um, this episode, I think uh, pretty skillfully subverts our expectations by making us fear the mummy, fear the mummy at first. And then, later revealing that it was the uh, colleague of the dead who was the real villain. Um, and I think this like works so well because we're still afraid of the mummy throughout the episode until that last moment. So it's like the moment where we realize that it's not the mummy. Um, we've already like gone through so much of the episode. It already like felt really good in that way. Um, and I think this is a really satisfying conclusion with the twist of the doctor turning to stone and the mummy's life being restored um, with some really cool uh, effects there. But, um, and uh, so I think this episode really, what it really does well is like take the classic mummy movie tropes and kind of just twist them a little bit effectively. Um, and uh, I also just wanted to mention that this is a rare episode in which the parent isn't, um, the bad guy and actually plays like a fairly large role in the story instead of being like uh, just a background character. Um, so I, I was actually surprised by like how strong this episode plays out. Um, I think it kind of like exceeded my expectations in rewatching actually. So mm. cool. Awesome. So uh, the silent servant uh, starts off. We, we, enter the frame and we're looking at this sorcerer um who's in this old barn sorcerer and uh yeah he's a sorcerer well okay so first off we see this crazy man um he finds this double dragon like emblem this like little uh you know this great uh, artifact and um he discovers that there is a uh, a scarecrow and runs off and then the sorcerer um realizes there's a sorcerer there who kind of created this uh, scarecrow and um, he locks the scarecrow away in this barn and goes and chases after the man that discovered the scarecrow. what have you done it attacked me it's here Calo Vector Solemnos. the words don't work told you never to reveal yourself. I command you, be still. I'll return for you later. <laughs> After I take care of our friend George. <laughs> um, then it fast forwards 20 years later, and we meet Jared and Anne. Uh, Jared is... Uh, visiting Anne in the country, 
uh, well, you know, for the summer. And uh, they have an uncle who is, you know, running the farm. Jared and Ann are playing baseball, and um, he throws the ball too far, and they break a glass window. And um, they have to start doing chores in order to fix the glass window. Uh, on their way to, um, you know, one of the chores that they were given was to deliver some seeds to uh, this farmer down the road. On their way there, they stumble across the barn, the same barn where the scarecrow was. Uh, at this point, they find the scarecrow there, and they also find that double dragon emblem or the, uh, you know, artifact that they found, and um, and they hang on to it because prior to going, the uncle said you have to build. A, uh, a fence around this garden, which I should have uh, mentioned earlier. But anyways, they have to build this fence around this garden. They say, hey, look, we got the scarecrow. We can put the scarecrow inside the garden and we'll scare away, you know, all the animals, like, you know, to uh, protect the garden. Ooh, boogeyman. Let's get out of here. But wait, we could hang the scarecrow in the garden instead of building a fence. Scarecrow scare crows, not deer. You're just scared. I am not. So uh, they go back, they put the scarecrow in the garden, and uh, they're like, "Hey, look it, we can, uh, you know, we can scare away the animals." And they're like, "No, you still need to build the uh, the fence." So they don't deliver the seeds, uh, and they don't build the uh, they don't build the the fence around the garden. They go to sleep, and uh, the boy Jared starts making wishes. He said, "Man, I wish uh, you know we would have." built that that fence around the garden anyways they start making these wishes and the scarecrow the silent servant starts doing their tasks so they were able to deliver the seeds the, the silent servant delivered the seeds uh and the silent servant also built the the fence around the the garden after time uh they start realizing that this scarecrow has the ability to answer wishes and he says you know i like i like a dugout because i really like baseball he asks him to build a dugout, and he destroys the fence that they uh, built earlier to build the dugout. And uh, and little by little, they start getting a little bit scared because this thing has these powers. And one night, they were out in the uh, in the yard, and the and the silent servant or the scarecrow ends up right behind them. And they're like, "Man, this thing's really powerful." So they get grounded because the silent servant used the uh, fencing around the garden to build the dugout and he uh, he's really mad because he can't find his glove this is a terrible synopsis by the way but I'm just kind of doing it in my head um, so he gets really upset with the uh, with the man who took the glove he thinks it's his cousin he says I wish he would die <laughs> and they're like oh my gosh why did you say that you know this silent servant he answers these wishes my glove's not here Mark still got it Come on, Mark wouldn't take your glove. I'd like to kill whoever did. Jared? No way. That wasn't in order. Oh man. That thing's going after Mark. We gotta stop it. How? You couldn't stop it from building the dugout. Only the true master can stop the servant. The power's in the tube. And smash so. it! They're going to the baseball game to save the cousin who had the baseball game. And uh, they realize that whoever had the glove, it wasn't the cousin. And it was the, the farmer. 
So what was really scary is that, you know, we're kind of seeing our inner selves portrayed through this silent servant who is uh, carrying out tasks. And the uncle who is running the farm actually has the glove at the time. And at this point, we're starting to see the silent servant or the, uh, you know, the scarecrow in the episode walk around, starting to stalk people. Very scary stuff. Um, and they are able to, uh, they're able to stop this curse because that little pendant that they had, uh, they're able to go and crush it at the site of the burial of that sorcerer that I mentioned in the beginning. Um, man, this is one of the worst synopsises I've ever, I should have written. <laughs> you're, you're, <laughs> you're doing, you're doing great. Oh, thanks. Um, but anyways, so, um, so that, yeah, this story is about this, uh, you know, this scarecrow that can answer the wishes. So what I really like about this is that the, uh, you know, the innate, uh, badness of this, this, uh, monster is it's actually in the heart of the child and it's just answering his wishes. Um, I don't know. That's about it. <laughs> I'll be able to debate it, but that's I, all I'm you very like bad synopsis. Oh, what? No, yeah, but okay. what did you like about the episode? Um, so I really like, uh, I really story like wise. The, yeah. The story wise. So, um, I really like that. Um, okay. So what I really like about this story, what I really like about this story is that, um, you know, we have this, we have this scarecrow that's answering wishes and it seems like it, you know, can be used for good. Um, but you know, you can always wish for too much and it's hard to do the right thing. So this child realizes that he's, you know, kind of becoming greedy and, uh, you know, he's able to stop the monster uh, and change his ways kind of in, in a way. Also a very strong female, uh, female lead, you know, um, and the, uh, the, the uh, cousin of the, of the boy, very good. Listen, Anne. No, I've listened to you long enough for doing this my way. Very good. Um, well, well, Andrew, do you have any problems with uh, Max's story? Oh, I got a lot of problems with this episode. Um, <laughs> I just felt like I went through a job interview that I just bombed. <laughs> oh, my God. We'll, we'll, let, we'll, we'll let you know in a couple days, Max. <laughs> um, I, uh, All right, I think go this, ahead, Andrew. Tear I, me apart. I think that's... I think the strength of this episode is actually like how well it hides its numerous flaws. Um, first of all, I, it occurred like it didn't, it never, I never realized this before, but in rewatching it, it suddenly hit me that this is basically just an overcomplicated version of the monkey's paw or twisted claw story. Like the wishes that go bad. Um, too much of the episode, I think is spent milling around the farm doing chores and it may not even seem that way if um, you're if you've seen this episode a lot of times. But I feel like if you're watching it for the first time, there's a lot of time spent before like stuff really starts happening. Um, the inclusion of the dragon item thing. Uh, it's sort of cool. I mean, I like items um, in these episodes, but 
it barely has a hint of an explanation for where it came from or why it exists. And ultimately, I think if you remove it from the story, you don't have to change much to um, have the same story, full story. Like it's well, pretty much unnecessary to the story. Well, inside the, the, the item was the scroll. And I thought that was a much stronger case for how this thing came to become, you know, powerful is that these children opened up the dragon inside. There was a scroll and they chanted a chant. Lightning's going on. You got the wind howling. And then all of a sudden the scarecrow becomes, you know, alive. Whereas in your episode, (laughs) what they found that little jewel, like that little jewel box and. I don't even know what, what did they do. Did they, did they actually spill something on him, or yeah, they spilled the elixir of life on the the uh, mummy. Okay, but why didn't it, he just become alive at that point? He it did thing. partially, but it okay. needed the ring to become fully alive. Um, but I I think you're right in what you're saying. I think that like the way it happens is cool, but I think the item itself is just not fleshed out fully. Like we just don't get enough of all I want is like some hints of what this is. And again, you were calling that guy a sorcerer, but really he was just the head of this farm with no explanation as to like how he made this thing or whatever. I just would have liked some hint, little hint, not like a total explanation, but just well, in the episode that she does call him a sorcerer. Oh, does she? The word sorcerer. Yeah. Okay. Okay. It's Mr. Olstead's. People say that he was some kind of sorcerer and that he had invisible servants work his farm. And you believe that stuff? No. Yeah, right. Um, well, I mean, speaking of this stuff, I think the rules are sloppy around what's happening in the story. It's like, do they have to say the special words to command it or not? And if it can always hear them, why couldn't they just tell it to not kill the dad after they accidentally told it to kill him? Yeah. Well, you can't reverse a wish. <laughs> well, you can wish for it not to kill the dad. I mean, it's not really a wish; it's a command. But it like plays out like a wish. Okay. Okay. Um, I think the conclusion is just kind of pretty ungratifying. Um, breaking the item to destroy the monster—it's just like, yeah, okay, I, come on. Um, we see well, that they had oh. to go to a special place in order to break it. You know, they tried breaking it, but then they realized they had to go to the source yeah. where it, the yeah, sorcerer yeah. just even more convoluted, kind of. Yeah, um. not always going to be the easiest route in order to get rid of a you know demonic okay. scarecrow. Sure. Okay. Okay. Um, the uh, maybe like the biggest problem I had with this episode, though, it's kind of weird, but we see the scarecrow at the end flashing back to all the stuff that happened earlier in the episode, um, making us, to me, it was leading me to believe that all of the stuff that it had done was being undone. Like all the wishes were being undone. Um, but then the girl at the end says, they'll talk about it tomorrow. Quote, while Jared rebuilds the fence. So it's like implying that that, didn't that the undoing didn't happen since the fence still needs to be rebuilt um so it kind of ruined like the coolest thing in my mind uh about the episode story-wise okay what what what, uh what gripes do you max do you have with andrew's episode 
I think I don't know what he was talking about when he was saying how it just hits off with the bang. I, I mean, I was I just kept tapping my phone while I was watching. I said, "How long have I?" It's halfway in the episode. And Are I was you like, serious okay, right now? Now I'm wait a minute. This, I, I mean, just got I got to just say that this is like one minute at the beginning of the episode. Well, I mean, what they they open? Yeah, they open up the wall and they find that that uh, you know they find it. Yeah. But I mean, that's and then what? It just sits there. It's just an artifact at that point. Mm, it's pretty cool. A, a secret sarcophagus hidden behind the wall for some reason. Pretty uh, weird. I, I mean, maybe I just wasn't, I just, I don't know. It seems slow to me. Okay. Also, once it started getting really good, I'm watching it and I'm thinking, okay, they rode their bikes from their house to the museum. And then, you know, they get scared and they ride their bikes back to the house and the there, you know, at that point, we're thinking the mummy's there, and I'm thinking, okay, did, what's faster than a bike? I mean, it, it would only be a car. Well, this is the, this mummy the beauty of this episode. What? What's that? That's the beauty of it, though. That was Doctor Caper right. Smith. Right, right, exactly. And then, and then, you know, it's back, and uh, at that point, I'm, I'm thinking, okay, well, it's just, it's not scary because there's just no way this mummy's cruising around town that quickly and then we find out the whole the whole time the mummy hasn't even been doing anything the mummy's not even a, a bad character so yeah. like the the antagonist of this entire story isn't even the mummy it's that guy and then when that guy okay. reveals oh it was him that was there we're 15 minutes in an episode that got good after 10 minutes and we're already doing a flashback like we're at the end of uh like a christopher nolan movie recapping everything that's happened that he did and it's like man i've only been invested for 15 minutes do i really need this like uh okay I really i'll need just flashback i'll just say that both episodes had that weird flashback another thing that's the same about them in a weird way um but i think in guardian's curse it like made sense i mean i, I don't love it but it made sense but in silent servant it they i don't know what was going on like what was that when was the flashback in that one? At the end, in the um, uh, Scarecrow's like mind. Oh, yeah, yeah. I remember now. Also, it just so gotcha. happens that he only could remember the events that happened that showed on screen in this episode. <laughs> um, and then uh, another gripe that I had is that um, <laughs> you, uh, we finally see the zombie, or the, not the zombie, it looks like a zombie, but it's a mummy. And it's there's only two minutes left, and it's like cowering behind a wall. And mm -hmm. It was just never scary. Also, that guy was like for a children's show. He was like planning to murder everyone. He like yeah, he was... doused the place in kerosene. I thought that was a little extreme. <laughs> it was great. Now, if you would be so kind as to hand me that ring, you're not thinking. Oh yes, I intend to use that ring for myself. Now, give it to me. I wouldn't if I were you, Professor. That odor you smell is kerosene. I've soaked most of these crates. One touch of this torch, and this museum becomes a furnace. You wouldn't want to take that risk. I say we give it to him. I have to think. There's nothing to think about. We've got to do it. Josh, give him the ring. But what Just about... Give him the ring. Understand? It's like as intense as Are You Afraid of the Dark gets. Yeah, it was intense, but I mean, he wasn't that scary of a character. 
Oh man, I thought he was think, very well. I think oh. he was. A, I think that you oh, know yeah. he was evil, sure, but he, I mean, oh yeah, he's not. He's not a. He's not a monster. Mm. I would have liked the mummy to be in the scary part. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, um, for some of these categories, I have questions for both of you. For some, I just have one. This is a, a question for Andrew. Um, I'd like to know your thought on the ending of your episode in which the dad and mummy Mina uh, seem to be eyeing each <laughs> other as if, you know, fireworks are about to go off. What, what, yeah. What was, um, your, what was your feeling on this ending? I wonder if she likes to ski. I was like, is this, I, I was questioning whether it was even happening at first. And then Budnick says something like, you know, does she like ski vacations or something? Um, I, I think it's dumb. I'm, I accept it, but I think it would have been just as good to leave it out. You know? Okay. I think that's the right answer. um all right uh again i'll sometimes i'll have questions for both of you sometimes just one of you um i think i'm good on story if you guys are ready to move yeah sure get out of here uh well then let's go let's go to you know i want to i want to jump to something spicy right off the bat let's go to scariness Hmm. okay um let's have max start on this one yeah yeah sure uh, for scariness with my episode, I think that my monster, um, not, not that we're going at monsters, but just the scariness, the overall scariness of the episode, uh, I think it has it just due to the fact that we're all, we can all relate with the scarecrow. Um, also, there's FaceTime throughout the entire episode with my, with the scarecrow. And the stalking at the very end when he's in the cornfield and you see the back of him and you see those long, tingly fingers and he's really like, he's about to murder this man. I mean, nothing gets scarier than that. I mean, that's like, that's really, really scary. You're in a cornfield at night. One thing gets scarier. And what did you say? One thing gets scarier. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then um, just the fact that you have this child that is... Um, able to manipulate this, uh, you know, this really powerful presence. I mean, the mind of a child is a scary thing. And when you can uh, put that into action through, you know, something that's evil, pretty scary. Um, So I would say, I would say my uh, episode is a lot scarier than, uh, than Andrew's. Perfect. Um, so for mine, uh, even though Max was putting it down, I think that the mummy makeup is ultimately very good and effective for Are You Afraid of the Dark? I mean, when you get a shot on the close-up of the mummy's face, it is pretty um, grotesque. That blackened husk. Um, it's a... Uh, I think this episode has a great use of suspense and creepiness, Uh as you have the impression of the mummy moving around and uh, as you think that the mummy is like roughing up their house and kidnapping the father, um, I think that uh, there's just something on the line there. Um, There's a pretty good jump scare with the fake mummy. Just want to note, (laughs) I was uh, thrown off by that. Um, 
the museum setting uh, I love with all the weird old exhibits and uh, crates. I think it just like creates a creepy vibe. And it kind of reminds me of like being stuck in the um, warehouse at the end of Indiana Jones. Um, and I think this episode has like a rare, super frightening antagonist in Dr. Capel Smith um, in his threatening to burn down the whole museum with these kids in it alive uh it's a, perhaps the scariest threat in all of are you afraid of the dark i think ever i think it may be i mean can you think of a more serious threat than that made dangerous soup uh sort of but being burned alive well no that the fact that he unleashes it like it gets out into the world oh, yeah yeah okay uh, well, sorry, sorry, I didn't mean to argue. I, I, no, that's okay. That was a shocking proclamation. <laughs> uh, it's just a very visceral idea that he's gonna burn these kids alive. It's just like it goes one step beyond what most episodes go to. I think. Okay. Um, Max, did you have any problems with Andrew's story? For uh, All right, with his no, scariness, excuse me. Scariness. Yeah. Yeah, I do. Um, you know, once again. Um, we, we see the mummy right off the bat and then we see the mummy leaving that doorway and like we see the little bit of like the the wrappings kind of mm, go, slip yeah. underneath the door Love it's it. just moving very slow um when i mean when you see what it does to the house and how fast it's moving it's but it doesn't do- if you think that's the mummy and then you realize it yeah. wasn't the mummy okay. really never did anything um the the basement being as scary as Indiana Jones. I mean, I don't really think Indiana Jones is a horror movie, but I think more mm. like I think Children twist, of the Corn or like we look at signs. We look at movies with these really scary scenes in corn mazes and you know cornfield. That's a really unsettling environment to put yourself into. And then when you have this scarecrow that is just has a curse on it, right from the sorcerer, that's kind of able to move, follow these kids around walking through stalking its prey and it's actually it's actually wanting to cause harm rather than the mummy who's not looking to cause harm in any way throughout this entire episode i think the scariness just hits a whole nother level because we both have that jaws type feel where it's kind of stalking in the background but towards the end of the towards the end of it we really see my character um kind of take on that that uh that terrible beast that's going to actually kill somebody rather than yours who's like i said hiding behind that wall kind of peeking over looking for a little bit of juice so it can become a person okay um i do want to quibble here with something um the way i think that the way the mummy is shown moving around is a little bit more effective than the way the um scarecrow is ultimately shown when, but like, I mean, I, like how many times do you see the mummy moving around well i like no i mean just like the hints of it like the uh rap going through the door i liked um and that's it that's all maybe that was it uh but <laughs> what i don't like about the scarecrow is that it's like most of it moving is close-ups on its legs and it's just like it's dark it could just be a guy walking it's like why did you pick that shot i don't know uh, at the um, very at the very end, though, when we're watching the fa- the father on the tractor, we get a full back shot. There is a moment of the yeah in the yeah. shadows, I'm, yeah, creeping right. back into the corn. 
like I said, you, you named. I don't know about creeping back into the corn, but yeah, um, it, it creeped back left into the corn as the tractor was approaching. The tractor stalls out. He's looking for his tools. He finds a baseball glove. What's next? He's about to get killed. The bad guy comes around the tractor. He's about to actually yeah. murder the man, and then they break the curse. Okay. You have a piece of toilet paper going underneath the doorway. Do you think that's even close? Uh, okay, Max. Um, I mean, we do end up seeing the mummy, you remember? Yeah. And I would argue yeah. that the mummy makeup is actually better than the scarecrow makeup. When you get a close-up shot of that scarecrow, it's very clear that it's like one of those um, blank white masks and they put some dirt on it it's not that you know they didn't get that detailed with it it was so Um, scary that the children walked over to it and gave it juice (laughs) okay i well i think the weaknesses of this is of this episode is that the scariness is derived entirely from the look of the scarecrow um and it's almost, I mean, until the end, it's not moving at all. So we get these shots of it that look great, but that's really it as far as the scariness. When it's not on the screen, uh, it feels like nothing's happening, kind of. Um, well, the events no, you that, have the psychological I, terror, like it's going to go kill your cousin. Maybe, except really most of the episodes about the wishing and like what's happening. And, you know, we don't think that it's going to kill anybody. For most of the episode. What about the very end? For most of the episode. Okay, for three quarters of the episode, we don't think it's going to kill anybody. I don't even see your mummy until there's two minutes left in the episode. Uh, We do see it on the slab. In one minute, she's a a person that the dad wants to marry, so I don't... (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um, I also just want to point out that the other events that occur in your episode really aren't that scary. Like, leading up to the uh, finale, the broken fence... The weird guy creeping around the barn. They're just like, I don't know. They just feel kind of mundane. Um, and I think that most of the of your episode is more of a mystery, really, with nothing on the line until the very end when the scarecrow goes after Pete. But right up until that point, like, everything's just like, what's going on? How is this stuff happening? And why? It's just kind of weird. Like, at, the, at first you think oh, this is going to be a scary Scarecrow episode, and then it takes 15 minutes to get to that happening. Uh, my question for both of you is, you know, and we've done this before, but if you had to pick the scary moment of your episode, just one moment, Ooh, not like, boil it down to the big scare. I mean, I, I'll go. I mean, it's it's when they realize that they wish the, uh, you know, the person dead that took the glove, and then it cuts to the Scarecrow, creeping around in the corn and i guess once you realize that it wasn't the you know they drive their bikes all the way to save their the cousin and once you realize oh my gosh no it's it's the it's the uncle who's all alone in the cornfield and he's like stalking him that's whew. i won't sleep well tonight because <laughs> of my episode <laughs> um i would say my scary moment is actually kind of unexpected for me it's when dr cable smith suddenly like slowly comes to realize what's happening that he's turning into this stone statue and then turning into it it's just a uh kind of a horrible fate (laughs) behold you are now gazing at an immortal 
I think I have a. I think I have what I need here. <laughs> Get out of here! Why don't we uh, move on to characters? Mm, uh, this don't we? This uh, does not include the monsters. Um, I'm, sure. I'm, you know, I'm looking for our human characters here. Yeah, um, Andrew, do you want to start for character? Yeah. Um. <laughs> I mean, probably the most exciting part about either of these episodes is Josh Dugan, played by <laughs> the incomparable Danny Cooksey. <laughs> the incomparable. <laughs> um, I love seeing him here in a different show. Um, I love that he's like a slightly subdued version of the character he always plays, kind of. We've got her. Who? Ina. Ina was a goddess. The ancient Egyptians believed that she used her ring of eternity to bring forth life from the earth every spring. She should have used the ring on herself. Maybe she wouldn't be stuck in this old box. But there was two sides to the legend. Mina was beneficent, but vindictive. She supposedly had the power to turn her enemies into stone. Got it. You sure about that? Um, he's also a departure from the typical over-the-top annoying brother or like sidekick character. He's, like, more normal than what Are You Afraid of the Dark normally gives you. And I think that uh, both of him and Cleo Duke and his sister um, serve as, like, a simultaneous main character kind of playing off of each other. Um, she's the smart, responsible one. Uh, a strong character who drives the story forward while keeping Josh in check. Um, so I think I, I like this character being around the Danny Cooksey character um, kind of control or, you know, keeping them from going completely crazy. Um, we also have James Dugan, the overworked single parent. He has an interesting profession as an archaeology professor and actually has a lot more to do with the story I found than your typical Are You Afraid of the Dark parent. Um, like, the story actually hinges partly on him uh, getting caught by Dr. Cable Smith. And uh, Professor Dugan, Professor Dugan, this is amazing. In all my years... I'm on vacation, Dr. Caplesmith. Five minutes and I'm gone. I, I, I believe you'll think twice when you see what we've got. Uh, vacations come and go, but a find like this happens once in a lifetime. And it was here all the time, right under our noses. <laughs> what happened? Um, and finally, Dr. Capel Smith. He's the scummy colleague who's only out for himself with a suitably freaky performance, I think. Uh, he makes a very effective, hateable villain and adds uh, an element of sleaze to this story. Um, I think he's maybe, I mean, aside from me liking to see Danny Cooksey, I think uh, this guy's like the other selling point of this story character-wise. Uh, he seems like legitimately unhinged and just kind of plays it so over the top that I believe his character is doing this stuff. Um, and I think, uh, you know, he serves as this like 
villain that you didn't expect. And I think he just plays the part to perfection. So um, overall, I think all the characters in this episode are actually very strong. Um, yeah, so I think that the characters in my story are awesome. Um, you know, the main, the two main characters, Jared and Anne, um, I thought that they played well off of one another. Um, and I really liked that she was kind of going along with Jared this entire story um, and kind of following his lead as the male role. And then at the very end of the story, um, she says enough is enough and you have to follow me. And she takes this strong female lead um, and, you know, they take she takes them back to the um, the source of the grave and then and bashes it. And she kind of saves the day. Um, I really like Crazy George. Um, I think that he's a great, you know, outside character. He is a great actor. I mean, he kind of reminded me of, of an old Daniel Day-Lewis um, which I'm sure you guys probably have the same watching. Are you pandering um, to me? No, 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 no. I mean, when I first watched this, okay, so I, I was watching both of these episodes, and yeah. the opening scene of, of Andrews, you know, have they have the construction people, and I thought, man, did they, like, just hire actual construction workers to play this role? They're just the worst actors. Because it was so seen. good, you mean? They were terrible. They were so really? bad at acting. It was crazy. Funny you and say that because I up, I have some information about that. It opens up my my show opens up with these two guys going back and forth. I mean, I felt like I was in a, you know a, a big budget oh film with really high paid actors. Um, and then you know, so Crazy George, I think the Sorcerer, just amazing performances. Sorcerer. Um, Crazy George kind of uh, keeps us into this mystery of you know what is this uh pendant that they have this item and uh keeps bringing it back to you know the the folklore of the whole story um i really liked that the uh the cousin like the older cousin the one that was playing baseball um he was like a really nice guy to them he was kind of a father figure because the uncle was working so much and you know he he said, I might have to ground you. It was a scarecrow, honest. He didn't know it would wreck the fence. Come on, you guys. you got to come up with a better story than that for Dad. But it's the truth. Mr. Earlstead's barn. I have to ground you two. But I was going to your game tonight. I don't think so. Here are your gloves. Stay out of trouble. He also rewarded them for doing well when it wasn't, in fact, them. Um, but he was just a really uh, strong character to have as, you know, this role model for the kids um so i think overall all great all great actors great characters but really those uh that opening scene with the sorcerer and uh, crazy george that really took the took the took the cake uh let me just say that that the construction worker character in my episode that max dislikes so much happens to be the person who played the crimson clown in the tale of the crimson clown. Oh, he played the crimson clown. Yeah. Uncredited. Which, anyway. which one, which worker? Uh, I assume the bigger one. Okay. Interesting. Um, but, uh, you know, I got some problems with Max's characters, Good. you know, um, Jared Connor, just the insufferable cousin, classic uh are you afraid of the dark kid but really has nothing redeemable about him just kind of annoying to watch this is our ticket to the best summer ever but the scroll said command you build me a dugout for my baseball field out back calavector solemnos cancel the command Cal what 
It's in the scroll. This is dangerous. Get over it. I'm getting a dugout. Let's go into town. There's a baseball card shop I want to check out. Uh, Ann Peterson, she's the responsible one. She keeps the story on track. Um, and she's probably the strongest character in this story. Um, but I wouldn't say stronger than Cleo Dugan in uh, Guardian's Curse. Um, Pete Peterson, he's the overworked single parent, but opposed to uh, James Dugan, he has very little presence in this story. He pretty much exists to punish the kids and then have somebody to get attacked at the end. Um, Mark Peterson, he's the cool older kid. He exists, I think, solely to be an authority figure who isn't savvy enough to notice anything weird going on with the younger kids. Um, he kind of plays the parent role, but just not aware enough to follow the goings-on in the story. Um, and finally, Crazy George. Boy, uh, the crazy guy who knows the secret but is too whacked out to be able to explain it coherently. Um and although he, the performance was fairly creepy, um, I just think this character makes no sense. Like, what is he doing? He lives in the barn. Uh, he, he has lived in the barn for the past 20 years. Like, what? Uh, he was presumably driven mad by the scarecrow, but then he brings it back to life in the end? Like, what's? He's just back and forth, like serving whatever purpose needs to be filled in the story. Um, so it's kind he's, of just annoying. He's crazy. Yes, he's a crazy guy. <laughs> he, I don't know. I don't like him. Uh, Max, do you have any bones to pick with uh, Andrew's characters? Or did you already do that? I didn't do that, no. Oh, okay. um, so you know, I thought, I thought they, were, they were pretty good. I'm not going to go too hard at them. Uh, I mean, I think that's just the over, uh, you know, the, the overriding story or whatever you would say. Um, you know, this parent that's not showing the kids, you know, the time that they need so busy on his work. It's just overplayed. We've seen it in so many other, you know, stories that are actually scary. Um, and just, I don't know. It's just nothing to write home about. They didn't have like the crazy George moment in that episode. Oh, yes. Sure. <laughs> sure. The, uh, you know, the uh, coworker or the colleague, he yeah. was good. He was a very What's good, his name, uh, very good character. Dr. Cable Smith. Um, <laughs> but I, I mean, there's just nothing. I mean, I think the guy from salute your shorts, you know, he, he should be on salute your shorts. He shouldn't be in are you afraid of the dark? He really didn't do well oh, in this episode. Boy. I hate to tell you. Oh, <laughs> Come on. It lights up the screen. Uh, I feel like, yeah, but, um, but no, I, I mean, there's not much to say. It's just boring. If I, if I <laughs> didn't have to study the episode, I wouldn't have been able to tell you that their names were Josh and Cleo. Nobody cares. Nobody knows. I wouldn't have known your Jared and Ann and Pete. Oh, please. Mark, Jared and Ann. I mean, right up to George. Half to know their names. I think Dr. Cable Smith was just like a superior character. He's like the foil to Crazy George, but just better. Right. Well, yeah. And that, but I would say that that hurts your story that there's really no monster. There's nothing to be scared of. It's just, there is a monster. And I you, mean, if, you've, well, if you're seeing this for the first time, you're thinking the mummy's doing did. all this stuff. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, but there's just so many holes that you're thinking like, okay, this, this mummy can't be getting around like that. And then you find out it didn't. It was. But it that's was that kind guy. of. The so, yeah, he was a great. It. I think he was a great villain. But um, 
the but beauty it, of it is like you hurt the fact that your monster wasn't scary <laughs> okay uh i i think what makes it great is that you like i was starting to think watching this oh man this thing's moving fast like how is this mummy moving so fast so it's just like this trick that they do and i think for a kid's show like it was done pretty well okay all right um i think you guys pretty much answered my question i was going to ask you guys who do you who do you think was more integral to the story uh crazy george or dr capel smith because i think i think they do in some kind of way share like um an importance to the episode yeah and they're both you know a cuckoo yeah yeah um but yeah they they definitely share like a similar place in the story or like purpose in the stories um but I, I mean, I think Dr. Cable Smith, of course, is far superior to Crazy George's antics, whatever he's doing. <laughs> well, I think without Crazy George, you wouldn't have this uh, this scarecrow or this uh, this vile, you know, this uh, this item that can unlock the curse. I think that he's just such a crazy man that this scarecrow has just been living inside his mind the entire, you know, his entire lifetime since he found out about it. He just couldn't let it go. And he held on to that scroll just in case he ever wanted to awaken it again. It got stolen from him. He finally got it back after the scarecrow had been, you know, uh, you know, brought to life again. And the scarecrow goes back. The scarecrow is no longer with us. And what does Crazy George do? He unleashes the beast again. He's just this man has been tormented his entire life. And you can really see that in his performance. Command you finish this fence. Take it back. You heard what George said. It's evil. George is crazy. What's your excuse? He really plays a great role. Now, I'm not going to say that the colleague of, um, you know, Professor Cable Smith, I don't think I don't think he did a bad job in his role. I think he was very important to the story, but I think that um, you know they could have made an episode more so based around him rather than um, an unscary mummy. <laughs> okay. Well. I- I just think Crazy George could be removed from the story, and you wouldn't have to change much to have the exact same story. Just be like I think they you fi- could remove Doctor Cable Smith from your story, and you'd actually have a scary mummy story. I t- rather than a <laughs> madman who wants to kill children. I totally disagree. You would have just a standard mummy, nothing story. You know, this is what, he's what makes it interesting. Oh boy! Okay, get out of here. Um. Let's move to monster. Yeah. Uh, you know, we, we talked a little bit about scariness, but let's really focus in on the, the creature here. Um, if uh, Max, you want to start. Sure. Yeah. Um, so the reason I find this scarecrow so much more scary than the mummy, um, there's a few factors. So one is that you have this backstory with the sorcerer who's put this, curse on the scarecrow and sealed it away in a scroll and when the kids find that scroll and read this chant this horrifying chant that really you know shivers you to the bone and then you see the wind and the lightning i'm like goodness you're just getting so scared and then next thing you know you have this evil scarecrow um another thing that's so scary about it is that it it listens to whatever you say right so like the 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 human mind can go in so many dark places. And when you say, oh, I wish that man would die that stole my glove, you know, this thing is actually listening to you and will do it. Um, 
so the fact that not only is this thing listening to your every every wish that you say and that it has a curse that is uh you know uh comes up with this terrible chant that's said and the storm and everything but it's also much more frightening because like i said previously um you know it when you realize that it's bad and it moves behind them and it's you know it's stands still it's still on its little uh post and you think oh that's not that scary and then you get to the end after the wish of wishing somebody dead and this thing is creeping through the cornfield and actually ready to murder somebody you know an innocent man and it's moving and it's you know it's it's got a mind of its own and you see him creeping through the cornfield and then it creeps around the tractor after it breaks down and he's behind that man he's ready to strike and kill his prey um right before you know the curse is lifted um it's just it's really terrifying that you have this the scarecrow that the makeup the makeup's great um but it's just uh it's it's actually ready to kill some somebody the costume design um is just really good as well like that that leathery looking face that the scarecrow has like you know scarecrows can be very scary in real life but then you know you've never really seen one with that type of face i thought it was really well done um with the with the makeup and then also the um the hands and and the movement of it cool andrew what what what, uh what works here for you yeah um I think that where Mina the Mummy shines is in just being a more fleshed out, uh, just more realized character. Of the Ring of Eternity was widely known, but there's also mention of an elixir of life. The elixir brings life, the ring brings eternity. Wow, I'm totally blown away. There's also mention of a curse. Really? The Guardian's curse. Well, it was fairly standard, but the ancients always threatened horrible death and torture to those who disturbed their tombs. Which is exactly what we did. That's um, As an undead Egyptian goddess, uh, she adds a sense of dread creeping around behind the scenes of this episode. Um, she provides a final scare upon the reveal of her dried corpse. It's the curse! Oh man, it's the curse! Get out of here, that stuff is made up! Oh yeah? Does this look made up to you? It's real, Cleo, just like the legend said. No way. What about that bottle you're carrying around? That's real, too. And where's the mummy? I don't believe it. No. It's gone, Cleo. What are you saying? That a 10,000-year-old mummy just hopped off the table and... And she ends up giving the episode a satisfying ending, um, adding a whole new element to the story when her youth is restored. Um... I think that uh, there's an interesting approach the way they used the monster. Um, the way that they had it behind the scenes so that um, you, the viewer doesn't know exactly what it's capable of or what it's doing. Um, I think the payoff uh, upon seeing its dried up face is pretty satisfying walking around. Um, in spite of what Max says, I think the decaying makeup um, is pretty creepy and realistic looking as far as dried up mummies go. Um, this is, uh, it, this monster is a great instance of, um, the like benevolent monster that seems bad throughout the episode. Uh, are you afraid of the dark does this sometimes? And, um, I think it just succeeds here pretty well. Um, and I think finally, like the big difference between 
the mummy and the scarecrow is uh, that Mina has a history that we get to explore a little bit. Like she exists beyond, you get the feeling that she exists beyond this story. Like uh, she lived a whole life. She's just got this whole backstory, this whole history behind her. And I think it just adds a little bit more to the whole episode. Max, why, why is Mina the mummy not scary? Um, I mean, obviously, um, Andrew, maybe you can answer this. Who did, who was Mina trying to kill? She wasn't trying to kill anybody. Exactly. She wasn't. She was a good person. <laughs> that doesn't mean she's a bad so, character. I mean, the way that her, her story, like everything that happens, like in my story where this, the scarecrow comes to life and you have this big event, right? Like this monumental reading of the scroll wind lightning you have uh the mummy and she just accidentally pours some juice on a little bit of her clothes and now she's walking around very slowly you don't even see her you just see the you know the wrapping go underneath the door Um, but you do see her later you do see her later and like i said that's two there's two minutes prior to the end of the show when you finally see her and she's just not not very frightening um I it's think not all about the done well, but um, I think maybe the uh, body language that the actor chose to uh, to put into the mummy just made it just not so scary. And at that point, we already know that the mummy wasn't the bad person. Um, so just the fact that you don't see the mummy throughout the entire episode, um, they do a bad job with the jaws, you know, trying to make it seem like, um, you know, it's just always around you because you realize, um, you know, like a little bit after halfway through that it was actually that uh, professor guy. So uh, I just, it just wasn't, it wasn't scary and it didn't like, it didn't touch me. You know, it's not like I got to know who Mina was or what her backstory was. It was just, it was just not very good. Andrew, uh, do you have any uh, thoughts on the scarecrow? Oh, I've got thoughts. <laughs> um, oh boy. So what? <laughs> While the Scarecrow, I think, is effective for what it is, it's nothing that we couldn't have made ourselves. Um, like, if you look up close, it's just an old suit, one of those blank masks, and some straw. It's a pro- maybe one of the simplest costumes in the series. Um, a lot of what makes the Scarecrow scary, also, I find, is really the camera work and the lighting. Um, it's like these shots that he's in, not necessarily the character itself. Like if it wasn't shot in this particular way, it wouldn't have been scary at all. Um, I think some of these like instances where he's, where they show his legs walking by and like just him peeking out from behind, it's just terribly clear that it's just like a guy in a suit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I love, I love the shot of him. Like when the farmer is driving up and he yeah, kind of yeah. like shimmies his way into the corn stocks. <laughs> yes. Bias. I, no, no, no. I, pro- I promise. I, I, uh, I, I'm just joking. I'm just joking. Um, it just, that part made me laugh. Also just like in another instance of this episode being kind of sloppy, the scarecrow warps to where the kids are at the end. Like what, what the hell happened? Um, I was just totally thrown off by that. Like he can warp now. Uh, like what is, what is this guy's abilities? What, what are the rules for this? Um, 
And since we got so little backstory from where the Scarecrow comes from, I just think it ultimately feels sort of lifeless, like an automaton walking around. Like, it doesn't, you know, it's like a, a mindless robot killing people. It doesn't feel quite as intense as something consciously choosing to kill somebody. I mean, the por- the teleporting thing I didn't understand. <laughs> I mean, it was a cool effect, but what do you mean? What do you mean he teleported? Like when the kids uh, got to the gravesite, they oh they smashed the thing, and the scarecrow teleported oh, right. well, from I the mean, field over to the gravesite. Oh, you must not know about much about curses because when but you, you have say a cursed item and you uh, you break the curse, that item will show up wherever the curse was uh, initially laid out. It sounds made up. I mean, <laughs> no, that's that's. I'm pretty sure you made that. Story you'll ever read. Um, <laughs> and then, <laughs> and then, um, and then, no, I I think that what what's scary about the scarecrow, right, is that he isn't like he isn't this mindful ki- killer. It's the mind of of somebody that's giving him the commands or the wishes. That's mm. what makes him more scary. It's just a device to carry out these these acts that somebody else would like done. Okay. And um, maybe, maybe it just makes us think about what we say, right? Like maybe next yeah. time you're, uh, you know, mad at your, uh, your friend, you don't say, ah, I wish he would. I, I don't know. I guess he wouldn't say that about your friend, but um, I don't yeah, know. I, you I, know I, as a I, kid, you just, you have to think, you know, these, this is a children's show and it makes you think maybe I shouldn't say these, these words because they have a real weight to them. Yeah. I agree with what you're saying, actually. Um, I just think, like, this episode might have been better had they leaned on that more. Like, had it been closer to um, Twilight Zone, It's a Good Life with Anthony, like, had had it been more about the kid tell, having the Scarecrow do stuff for him, um, I think it might have turned out a little just more interesting overall. Gotcha. Well, I'm glad I was able to change your mind. Sure. Um. I was going to ask this, these two episodes are unique in the fact that like uh guardians curse is the only area for the dark episode that f- is featured around a mummy and silent servant is the only episode featured around a scarecrow. Um, do you guys in both of your cases think that like your episode did the best it could with that monster with that creature? Um, I think mine actually did really well. And I was even th- trying to think what other mummy stories do I like? And the only ones that I could even think of were the Brendan Fraser mummy and uh, the Lon <laughs> Chaney or like the original mummy, you know, like the black and white mummy. Besides those, this might be the third best mummy <laughs> thing ever made. Oh, man. No, I'm not even joking. Nobody tell Tom Cruise. <laughs> <laughs> wow third best mummy ever i mean maybe i'm forgetting something. didn't goosebumps do a good mummy mm, goosebumps might have done a good mummy yeah you might be right yeah. okay. but, but but it's up there okay max is this as good as are you afraid of the dark could do with a scarecrow i think so um i mean really if you look at um even these giant budget films you don't have any really good uh, horror films based around scarecrows outside of, I'm not saying it's good, but Cheaper's Creepers is the only one that really comes to mind. I think it's a really tough uh, I think it's a really tough 
route to go down, making a horror film based around scarecrows. And uh, I think that they were able to weave in that little bit of a curse, uh, the wishes. I think that they took uh, items from, yeah, you know, uh, different aspects from a bunch of genres and, and put them into the scarecrow. And it really just presented itself as a, a masterpiece. Wow. <laughs> Get out of here. Okay, well said. All right. Uh, well, we're moving to our last category. It always ends up being our most um, divisive. divisive and decisive. I mean, it seems mm. to decide these things often. This is uh, the Midnight Society segments for uh, each respective episode. Andrew, why don't you walk us through uh, what happens with your Midnight Society here? Yeah. Uh, so Tucker comes running into the uh, fire pit with Gary chasing after him, yelling, and the uh, some of the other characters stop Tucker and try to figure out what's going on, and they realize that Tucker has stolen Gary's ancient Ankh. What is it? It's an Ankh. You should have asked. You're always taking my stuff. Tucker, ask him. Can I borrow your Ankh? Don't make this any harder. Oh. All right. Thank you. I need the Ankh, because it's an ancient symbol everybody knows. It means life. My story's full of ancient symbols. But you have to know how to read them. Like the Ankh. It means life. And that's good. But you have to be careful. Because sometimes life could be far worse than anything you can imagine. Including death. Submitted for the approval of the Midnight Society call this story the tale of the guardian's curse um and he's he wants to get it back but sam uh, sam finally says like just let him uh use it to tell his story um and so he does uh and then in the end um tucker as tucker finishes his story he slowly sneaks away before gary realizes suddenly he still has the Ankh and he has to go chase after him. Um, so I think that this one, uh, what's good about this Midnight Society is it fleshes out Gary's and Tucker's relationship a little bit, just sets that uh, sibling rivalry theme up. Um, and it's a rare instance in which the show eschews uh, trying to make some flimsy connection to the moral of the story, instead opting for a thematic one with the Ankh and uh, the theme of life throughout the episode uh, and eternal life. Um, so uh, what I like about this is they actually present like a real item and for once pretty skillfully weave it into the actual story. I mean, it directly relates to it. Um, and finally, at the very end of the story, I love this. Um, they close up on a... Um, like t stone tablet inside the museum with a fire pit drawn on it and it fades into the midnight society fire pit love that transition one of, i think oh, one I of the best of the series oh, oh get out of here man um anyway i i think this is just a really it, it's an effective midnight society it's everything that happens serves a purpose and relates right back to the story um and not only that but it creates a uh, greater sense of the characters in the Midnight Society. So it pretty much does everything that 
one of these segments is supposed to do, I feel. Yeah, uh, well, unlike my, unlike Andrew's Midnight Society, mine actually ties into the story. Oh, boy. And everything. So, um, I don't know all the names of the Midnight Society, but um, two of them are walking to the fire and saying, uh, hey, is, uh, who's the one that's told the story? Who's the... <laughs> Um, I'm sorry. Tell your Betty story. Ann? You guys, oh, you guys are so, Betty Ann. Yeah. They're oh, like, oh. hey, where's Betty Ann? Where's oh, Betty Ann? Oh, <laughs> okay, guys. Okay. You guys are the experts here. I'm just an outsider. I'm trying I'm trying to fight for my life. Oh, uh, we love you. We love you. Okay, so two of the members are looking for Betty Ann because they went to the movies to sneak into the movies and not pay. And Betty Ann then tells the story comes comes into the scene and says that yeah sometimes you have to make a decision and maybe it's going to be the right choice or the wrong choice she wouldn't let her friends sneak into a movie we're coming out of one movie theater and the next one's right there the door was open we were in but i didn't want to do it so she yells out hey guys this way out the usher sees us bang we're dead you didn't want to go. You should have stayed quiet. I'm not so sure about that. I really thought it was wrong. So I had a choice. Should I stand up for what's right? Or stay silent? I hope this is about your story. It is, kinda. Silence has power. The power of the unknown the unspoken. Silence can be a blessing, a welcome moment of peace, or it can be evil. The trick is to know when to welcome it or be very afraid. Submitted for the approval of the Midnight Society, I call this story, The Tale of the Silent Servant. Please individuals or this individual this kid making wrong choices with his wishes right so he's um actually um you know whatever he's saying manifests itself through the scarecrow um so at the end of the society um betty ann concludes the story and those two individuals that wanted to sneak into the movie and she got them caught said you know what why don't we go to a movie tomorrow and and we'll pay for you and she said, oh, really? I said, yeah, you know what? Your story was so amazing. And I thought about it the entire time you were talking that it's changed my mind about sneaking into movies. And we want to go and we want to make the right choice rather than the wrong choice like uh, like Jared did. So, you know, I thought it was a really great scene because we see two youths who are just being youths and wanting to sneak into a movie. And um, after their friend Betty Ann tells this amazing story, um, they really they really hit them in their heartstrings, and uh, and they wanted to change the way that they were going to live out the rest of their lives and, and actually, um, you know, start making the right choices. Uh, well, what didn't you like about uh, Max, uh, the Silent Servant, Midnight Society, Andrew? Um. To me, this was just one of those pained attempts at connecting the what's happening in the Midnight Society back to the story. I mean, I don't know, like, there, I don't know what the moral 
connection is. I don't know what the connection is here. It's like, don't do the wrong things, I guess. I mean, pretty broad. Um, I, I, Betty Ann finally says, one of the things she says is, uh, the question is, should I stand up for what's right or stay silent? But I, I, like, how does that connect back to the story? The girl not telling the dad what really happened to the window at first, but nobody really learns a lesson in the end of the story. It's that, it just seems like a very weak connection. Um, and I think, <laughs> I think Betty Ann puts it best when, um, one of them asks, I hope this is about your story. And she says, it is kind of, <laughs> <laughs> I think that pretty much sums it up. Yeah, I do. I do like Tucker, like, <laughs> Like, what else would she be talking about? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, what about you, Max? Any any issues with uh, Andrew's uh, Midnight Society? Yeah, I think, you know, he's trying to make it seem like it's there's this huge connection between the Midnight Society and um, and the uh, the story itself. But really, it's just this this onk. And really, the onk that he's wearing around his neck and the onk in the... Uh, in the the story, they don't look anything alike. Um, he's also wearing this ankh, and he's saying, um, you know, this ankh is an ancient symbol that everyone knows. But prior to that, everybody's saying, what the heck is an ankh? An ankh? I've never even heard of that word. So he's trying to, you know, make it seem like everybody knows about what this thing is, but nobody knows what it is. It just seems to be a symbol. I don't even know, uh, you know, if he really knew what an ankh was. Um, also, I just I thought it was very strange that uh, he stole this out of um, the main guy, you know, the leader, his private drawer. You know, this young kid with a private drawer. I mean, what's that saying to the, the children watching this? I just think Gary's like fifteen. Okay, well, he shouldn't have a private drawer. Oh, we all know what's in there. <laughs> I I appreciate this attempt. <laughs> Oh, shoot. What's in Gary's drawer? <laughs> um, you know, can I just say that, uh, add, I mean, that um, the mention of the Ankh is also like one of the few instances in a Midnight Society where a kid might learn something real that they don't know about. Like an Ankh's a real thing, a real symbol, you know, and they talk about it a little bit, what it means. So. Okay. Yeah, just, just a thought. But he made everybody feel stupid by by <laughs> them not knowing what it was, and him saying, "Oh, everybody knows what an onk is." He you felt me, uh... he made me feel kind of stupid. I felt kind of stupid. Yeah, I, I don't. I, I admit, onks. I admit, part of me was like, "What the hell? Like, why does everybody know that?" But whatever. My midnight society never made you question your uh, intelligence. My, your midnight. <laughs> Your Midnight Society made me question everything about reality. Like, does this mean something? I can't... Well, hey, man, that's that's pretty huge. That's heavy. <laughs> okay, I've heard enough. Um, Get out of here. Do you guys, do you guys have uh, any closing, like anything you haven't said that you're like, oh, shoot, I wanted to get that out there. Any, any last thoughts before I uh, make my decision here? Uh, I'll just sum up by saying that I feel like this episode actually gets less credit than it probably deserves. Guardians curse. Mm -hmm. um, 
I felt more middling about it when I went into it than when I came out. Um, I think like actually picking it apart made me realize how strong of an episode it actually is. Um, and I, I totally had a good time with it. Um, you know, I know that I always, every time I do one of these, when I go over the story, I always fumble around and, uh, you know, I kind of shoot myself in the foot when I'm trying to, um, give a synopsis. But when I look at scariness, when I look at the monster, when I look at the story, I look at one thing that crazy George said, and it just really sums up everything. He said, I used to see rainbow colored lights. Yes, I'm so glad. Just darkness. <laughs> I'm so glad you brought that up. I used Tell to me, see. He's Daniel Day-Lewis. Come on. I was just thinking, like, what was the person writing this? Like, for a kid show, thinking, I used to see rainbow-colored lights. Like, what does that even mean? I used to be super high all the time, but <laughs> now... Hey, I mean, George is clearly burnt out. <laughs> all right. Uh, well, great job, guys. Um, let me say this. I, I don't think I gave away any of my cards, on because there was an episode here I preferred. Um... It's not the episode that I picked um, as the winner here. Uh, and, you know, this is the part that kind of stinks because, um, uh, you know, one of you are going to be mad at me in about seven minutes. All right. Uh, okay. All right. Uh, so let's start with story here. Um, I'll just hit some of the points that I liked. Um, Andrew mentioned in Guardian's Curse that, uh, it starts with a bang. Now, I don't know if I'd say it starts with a bang, but I do like uh, I do like that the idea of like starting immediately with the, the discovery of a hidden object. Um, I like that a lot. Um, I do think the episode subverts expectations more than the average Are You Afraid of the Dark does, uh, which Andrew mentioned. Um, you don't get a lot of twists where it's actually just like the thing is just this normal guy who's kind of derailed everything. That feels kind of weird. Um the parents' role is unique. Uh, the dad's role was unique in Guardians Curse. Um, Max mentioned uh, he liked that, you know, the idea that uh, the kids, that the Scarecrow is answering to the kids and that it's really the kids that are responsible for the evil, not necessarily the Scarecrow, which is kind of a cool a cool take, like they're controlling it. Um, you know, he, he had uh, criticized the idea that the mummy doesn't really do a whole lot, which I, I agree with. Uh, the mummy hiding was a little comical to me. Um, Andrew mentioned that uh, there's too much time kind of milling around the farm. Um, and uh, he mentioned the dragon item. I'm happy you brought up the dragon um, item because I also didn't really understand it. Uh, and I also credited you for accepting uh, the absolute absurdity of Mina and the dad. Um making flirty eyes at each other. So for, for story, I'm going with guardians curse. Um, I think, I think Andrew just kind of had a, a more well-rounded uh, argument. Max, you didn't, you didn't really have many positives. Um, for your, for your story. <laughs> so I, I hope you understand. <laughs> um, all right. Scariness. Let's move on to scariness. Um, I'll just bounce back and forth here. Andrew, you mentioned that, uh, that uh, the house being ransacked is kind of like a scary thing, I, which I agree. Like in Are You Afraid of the Dark, 
I know that as a kid, like walking into a, my house and seeing it like that would have really scared me. That's just kind of a scary idea of like what caused this to happen. And then the dad missing is also really scary. Um, Max, you mentioned just getting a lot more face time with the scarecrow, which I think is really valuable um, to really see your monster. Uh, Andrew mentioned the basement being kind of unsettling, which I agree. Um, where Max kind of counteracted that with the cornfields um, and in particular kind of the stalking nature of the scarecrow. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, Andrew mentioned that Max's episode, you know, there was a lot of time that wasn't spent on focusing on the scariness as much. It was just kind of figuring out what was going on, which I thought was, was true. Um, Max mentioned, you know, cornfields are just a, a little, maybe a bit scarier than uh, museums, which I agree with. Uh, and, um, there's just kind of a minimal moving of the mummy. I think, uh, so in this case, I'm going with Max, uh, silent servant. Um, I yeah. think, I do think sometimes less is more, but in Are You Afraid of the Dark, when you got 24 minutes, I really want to um, get to know the thing that I'm supposed to be scared of. I want to know, like, how does they move? What it is they're capable of? And I think with Mina, you know, we know she's a mummy and we know she's moving, but like, we don't, we just don't get enough, I don't think, in the time we have. Uh, it's just a yeah. little, like her peeking out behind the box is just <laughs> not quite enough. Um, so uh, scariness goes to Max. Um, the next category uh, is characters. Um, so we have, you know, in my head, this is not necessarily a judgment, but in my head, I thought Anne over Cleo. Cleo. I thought Anne was a little bit more of an, the interesting female character, a little stronger, where Cleo was, I think, a little submissive to Danny Cooksey. Um, I do think Cooksey over Jared, uh, you know, he's pretty much playing Bobby Budnick, um, but that's okay because why else would you really have him on the show? Um, so I think his, his attitude kind of actually keep helps keep the episode afloat where Jared's yeah. just kind of your ho-hum, um, are you afraid of the dark kid? Um, and then crazy George, I mean, legendary, uh, I, I, I this is a truly theatrical uh, performance. Um, he might be better than Daniel Day Lewis. Um, put it that way. Um, <laughs> But uh, Andrew, <laughs> I, I liked Andrew's mention that the parent is actually integral to the story. Usually the parent is just kind of this like obstacle for the kid. But in this case, it's really the parent. I mean, they're an obstacle, but they're also really part of like what what is happening. And I like the use of the dad. I like that they don't really they kind of resent their dad, but not really because they understand he's just kind of like like Cleo says, he's just doing the best he can. Um, so I like that angle. I like um in Max's episode, I do think the dynamic between Jared and Cleo, uh, I'm sorry, Jared and Anne is a little better than Cooksey and Cleo, but not by a lot. Um, Andrew mentioned that uh, George's story makes no sense. And I think I think this might have been like the clinching kind of argument on this one. So I went with Andrew for characters. Um, I did not expect to because I actually liked the characters a little bit better on Silent Servant. Um, but G George's story doesn't make any sense. Um, even though I don't like Dr. Capel Smith, I think he's a stupid character. And I actually think the uh, episode would have been better without him. Uh, I think he, he, he at least makes sense in the story. Like his storyline isn't kind of confusing. It's clear. 
And Crazy George, even though I loved watching him and I could watch a whole episode about Crazy George, um, I, I don't get I, I just don't get why he really even needed to be uh, in the episode. So um, characters goes to Andrew. Um, you know, not to not to spend too much time on it, because I think scariness and monsters were really closely yeah. linked on this one. Um, I went with uh, Silent Servant. Um, yeah. Again, you get to really see the scarecrow. I agree with Max when he said the costume design was I, I thought it was really good, like the leathery face. Um, I think the reason we get to see it so much is probably because Are You Afraid of the Dark knew they had something kind of cool to look at. Um, Andrew, you mentioned that like it might be the simplest costume design in the series, which I actually think is a strength. Um, I, I liked kind of how simple it is. Um, I like that Max mentioned that, you know, it's listening. That's kind of an unsettling idea that the, the creature can kind of just hear you. Um, it moves with a purpose. Uh, the framing is really well done. Uh, and again, Mina's just not very threatening. It, it's unsettling. You know, but I always felt like the kids could outrun her. Um, and, uh, you know, Andrew, you said there's a sense of dread. There is a little bit. Um, and she has a backstory, which I think is a good thing. But um, I just think in the end, the silent servant scarecrow is, uh, I don't know. Yeah. The, the mom, I, I, go ahead. Go ahead. I, I totally agree with you. I, I mean, I, I think what I was saying about the silent service servant is technically true but like that they that it was a very simple costume but they did make the absolute most out of it i think like with what they were using um it is a somehow turned out to be a very creepy character even though it's simply made right yeah yeah i agree um oh yeah um just just her poking out from like i said behind the box it's it was it played as funnier to me than scary which is not great like it's i don't know she just seemed a little sheepish um all right so as always seems to freaking happen um it comes down to the midnight society uh oh brother is right um do you just want to know who won sure (laughs) i mean i already know yeah, uh, so this one goes to Andrew, The Guardian's Curse. Um, uh, you know, Max, you, you gave it a heck of a try. Um, I do like the argument of Betty Ann being kind of the driver of good because, you know, I'm, I'm like Betty Ann's number one fan. It didn't help that you didn't know her name. Um, but uh, <laughs> um, Andrew saying like, you know, I think. I think in in all honesty, both of your Midnight Society segment, uh, segments do uh, like a garbage job of weaving the uh, their their segment with the story. It just feels like really clunky. Um, I do agree that uh, Andrew called it a pained attempt in um, Max's Max. I almost thought your Midnight Society segment would have worked better for like Midnight Madness or um, yeah. I, I just I didn't quite get the link. Like her saying the word silent isn't enough to connect to the story. <laughs> um, I, I did like the fire... Tra- I usually don't like this type of stuff, but the fire transition at the end of your story into the Midnight Society. Yes. I just like that, like, you know, they're in season three and they're really thinking about, like, okay, let's incorporate... Like, that's a really deliberate yeah. decision, and I kind of like that production um, am- ambitiousness. 
Yeah. Uh, so I, I like that a lot. Um, you know, the onk, I do think, you know, <laughs> I, I guess it's kind of cool that you learned something. Um, there's yeah. just more to go on, I think, for Andrew's Midnight Society. Um, I also noted here, and this didn't count against you, but it was a question I had, which is why were Frank and Kiki uh, trying to sneak into another movie if there was about to be a Midnight Society meeting? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. <laughs> um so anyway you you both did a good job max you i mean we asked you to kind of carry the load on an episode that you weren't super familiar with so i think yeah i think considering that you you like you definitely gave yourself a puncher's chance i think i think had you come a little harder on the story one you would have had a chance well yeah that's i think both yeah. times or when i do this I am so bad at doing a synopsis of an episode. And I, I really realized that today about halfway through when I was talking, I said, man, I am just doing such a bad job. Um, so, you know, next time I'm, I'm going to come more prepared for the, uh, you know, going over what the story is. Love it. I mean, in all fairness, I, I really think that the, uh, silent servant story is just like way more convoluted. Like all the stuff that's going on in it, it just could have been simplified. I think. Hmm. Right. Well, let's let's talk a little bit about it. Do you guys want to do ratings? Yeah. Cool. Sure. All right. So yeah, let's start with uh, the tale of the guardians curse, Andrew's episode. Uh, yeah, I gave this one a three point seven five out of five. Dang. Um, I think that I, I just think it's a really enjoyable episode. Actually, it's like it's I think it's pacing really helps it. It makes it um, easy to sit through. Uh, there's constantly something going on or like you're wondering what's happening. Um, it, it's not a top tier episode, but I, I still think it's better than I was giving it credit for going into this. Yeah. Um, and I also just want to mention one of my favorite lines in all of, are you afraid of the dark in this episode? Um, when Dr. Cable Smith turns to stone and his torch falls to the ground and it like, slowly kind of rolls toward the yeah. boxes and D- Danny Cooksey jumps for it. Like it's supposed to look fast, but it looks so slow. Yeah. He's like, save and a beauty. <laughs> save and a beauty. Yeah. yeah. There was like absolutely no imminent danger. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Anyways, uh, I would say a 2.75. Um, I just, I didn't, I mean, this is the first time I've ever watched it, and I was just asking myself a lot of questions throughout the whole um, beginning. I thought it started off a little slow. Um, I did like the fact that that guy was, um, you know, the the Dr. Cable Smith was the bad guy. I thought it was really terrifying, Um, but just the the lack of um, terror that I felt from the zombie, I couldn't give it more than a three or a three. Hmm. okay yeah I, I gave it i gave it a three um i thought uh i think it's just like a very average are you afraid of the dark it's like um not one that i would be excited to kick on again i think a lot of its charm is danny it's like the danny cooksey are you afraid of the dark episode um and the mummy i the character design wasn't so bad it's more like the way they used her uh, I think yeah. if they could have found some like interesting angles like they did with the scarecrow, 
a few more insert shots yeah. to make you feel like her presence. For sure. Uh, it would have probably felt made the episode feel like a little more um, dread inducing, but I think they're just a little thin on the scares. And um, so I think it's not a bad episode, but it's, it's just not one of my favorites. Um, so. Um, uh, hopefully everybody caught our artwork, uh, this week from Brett Wilson, uh, who did an amazing job as he always does for our verses. Uh, I asked his permission to share his reviews, (laughs) uh, from his uh, brand new book, scary tales, the ultimate unofficial guide to, are you afraid of the dark? It's a beautiful, uh, coffee table book. Um, and he said, yeah, absolutely. Uh, he would be happy for us to share. So you guys want to hear his take on it? Heck yeah. I'd love to. So on Guardian's Curse, uh, out of five, uh, now his are matchsticks, uh, he gave this story a four out of five. Um, He said, Guardian's Curse is a textbook example of Are You Afraid of the Dark cult classic. It has a unique story, the only story in the entire series thus far to feature a mummy. The story has a lovable guest star. Many Are You Afraid of the Dark fans are also Salute Your Shorts fans. The plot is engaging, the dialogue is fun, yet focused, and the twist at the end is really satisfying to witness after putting all the clues together, thanks to these two super slew siblings. Why, then, is the tale not more popular? Well, unlike Frozen Ghost, which features another Nickelodeon guest star, it lacks a simple yet iconic hook from its antagonist. But that alone shouldn't bury this gem back into the sands of time. i I feel that for those who can overlook Tucker's annoying tendencies as the scrappy do of the gang, this might be one of the best tales of his entire career. While it lacks the punch of a monster or a ghost story, this off- offering oozes goodness. Yeah, I, I like that uh, synopsis a lot. It's yeah, it really sums it up. Um, and uh, I'll share his uh, Silent Servant. Do you want to go around uh, before I do that and share your score for Silent Servant? Sure. Um, I gave Silent Servant also a 3.75 out of 5. Mm. Um, I, I feel very similar about these episodes. Like, I like them. I, I like them both a lot. Um, they're not my favorites. But, again, like, revisiting them, I like them more than I gave them credit for. Um, and I think Silent Servant, even though I think the story is just kind of a mess, I think... Um, it does have a really strong um, sense of uh, uneasiness throughout the episode. And the uh, I agree that the um, Scarecrow is a step up from the mummy. It's just somehow it's just a very effective villain, even though you don't see that much of it. Um, what you do see of it is very cool. And one thing we didn't mention um when the scarecrow is finally defeated at the end and collapses, it's really cool. Like the shot of its um, clothes sit and face mask sitting there and smoking on the ground. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So I I really like both episodes just for different reasons, but they fall right in line for me. Like uh, as far as how good they are. Cool. Excellent. Um, I would give this one a 3.25. I think um, I think it was very scary. I really like the character of Crazy George, um, but with the double dragon uh, amulet and the, uh, the sorcerer <laughs> in the beginning, and um, you know, it just gets a little cloudy. So I think they could have 
maybe button up the story just a little bit. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I kind of, I'm, I'm right in, in between you guys. I, I gave it a three and a half. Um, so this is the episode I like a little, I like this one actually a little bit better going into the debate. Um, not, not enough that I like thought it was going to sway me. It's not like I gave this a five and the other one a three, but, um, I just thought it was a little, the pace was a little bit better. And I think that is solely to do with the scarecrow. Um, I also really like Are You Afraid of the Darks that um, you can tell are really set outside. Um, so mm-hmm. like the nighttime, mm-hmm. the nighttime stalking of like in the cornfields. Um, I, I just like the way that feels like uh, it feels a little bit more like vulnerable, like you're just out in the middle of nowhere and this thing is watching. Yeah. Um, so I, th- I thought it was just as far as scary goes, this would be the episode I'd say like is a little bit scarier. Um, and, uh, I like that. Um, Brett also liked this one just a tad better. He gave it a four and a half out of five. Um, he says silence and scarecrows aren't exactly what I'd think about when a Betty Ann, uh, Betty Ann tale comes to mind, but silent servant still has a lot to offer. I particularly enjoy the atmosphere of the farm with its foreshadowing hints of what's to come once the scarecrow makes his new home. I wouldn't go so far as to say it's a standout tale, but I do love the imagery and the scarecrow itself is unnerving the entire time he's on screen. As for the other characters, Jared is highly unlikable for his mean spirited selfishness. In contrast, Anne is the moral compass, strong female lead of the cast. While Mark is the older brother, everyone would love to get along with. Despite this tale, not being as tightly connected to her opener as one would think, it's still a solid story, complete with a cliffhang- cliffhanger ending. It seems there's no genre Betty Ann can't conquer at this point. <laughs> Better believe it. Yeah. So, um, it seems like we're all kind of we're all in the same ballpark. Uh, yeah. You know, these are both pretty good, av- average to pretty good episodes. Yeah, I think that's accurate. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, we got one final thing here. Shall we name the episodes? Yeah, let's do it. Uh, let's start. Let's start with Guardian's Curse. Uh, yeah, I called this one the tale of Budnick versus the Mummy. <laughs> oh, you're pandering. <laughs> I love it though. Yeah. <laughs> Bud Nick first the mummy. Nicely done. Um, I named this one the tale of mummy and daddy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's really good. Yep. <laughs> Dang. Yeah. Uh, I called this. Oh. I called this the tale of dad's new girlfriend. <laughs> oh, nice. <Yeah. laughs> Very good. That ending. It really made me uncomfortable. Uh, it happens so quick. It just feels like an afterthought, kind of. Yeah. I don't know. It seems like they're about to get a bed and breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, and how? Let's uh, let's name the tale the Silent Servant. Yeah. I call this one the Tale of the Straw Genie. Ooh, yeah, that's good. Uh, this is the tale of when you wish upon a double dragon scroll. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Oh, nice. boy that's good all right well i uh 
I'm submitting two names. You guys can fire me if you oh, want boy. from the podcast. Um, I was just so ex- I, I'm I feel so good about both of these, <laughs> um, and that's that's always I I know that's always an irrational uh, confidence. <laughs> um, so the first one's the more serious one, which is the tale of the corn stalker. Uh, yeah, that's good. Nice. And the you know the more fun one is uh, the tale of Field of Screams. <laughs> oh man! Yeah, I just those are both very good. Yeah, I just yeah. Could, I couldn't pick between them. I'm like, you know what? Wow. There's four spots on the poll, so. <laughs> <laughs> all right, yeah, yeah, okay, that's fair. Um, all right, so we'll we'll post those. You guys uh, can vote. Um, great job, guys! Uh, you brought it. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, and Max, you did a great job. I know you're very hard on yourself, um, but... Uh, I'm under 500 now. <laughs> That's what you were worrying about this whole time? Oh, boy. My record, man. Well, we'll get you back. You got you yeah. got to pick something that you love. Just pick something that like you're like, this is my passion. Oh, yeah. That's, yeah, that's, that's a good idea. <laughs> the tale of... Uh, I don't know. Manaha. The tale of the Manaha. <laughs> <laughs> the tale of Bigfoot Ridge. Max has been waiting. Um, all right. Before we wrap up, I'm just a quick email here from Jacob, which is, are you Friday the Dark related? Um, his kind of belated thoughts on our reviews of Night Shift and Midnight Ride. He said, cool. uh, dear, Ma- dear Margo and Bud, I'm writing it. I'm writing in with some lingering thoughts about 2020's Podtober. In your quest to give us in-depth and fun coverage, you too certainly didn't shy away from trick-or-treating at some of the edgier residences of the 90s Nick uh, cul-de-sac. I loved your dissection of Night Shift. It's a top 10 story. A fantastic way uh, for the show to end its original run with some much-needed closure for our budding lovebirds, Gary and Sam. Yet, it doesn't break into my top five, mostly because of the overly speedy pacing which you touched upon. The episode's manic energy makes the tale feel less like horror and more like an adventure story or a fast-paced thriller with supernatural elements thrown in. Night Shift is still very entertaining, but it's not as atmospheric as it could have been. I'm not the biggest Colin fan either, and he's definitely the weakest part of the episode. His desperate attempts to get Amanda to go out with him come across as cringy. A simple fix would have been to remove Colin and instead focus on the more comfortable relationship between Amanda and Felix. There was obviously a subtle romantic connection between the two in the episode. I really, um, I really enjoyed Felix's character and all the internal conflict he had to deal with. The moment where Felix briefly thanks Amanda and then suggests that he remembered being a vampire was a nice touch at the end. I'm happy that not everyone forgot what had happened, making the kid's final defeat of the villain more rewarding. Uh, his rating, 4.25 Kreb stars, and he named the episode The Tale of How Colin is the Real Creep. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, and then Midnight Ride. He said it was so brilliant that Vaughn came back for your Tale of the Midnight Ride episode to end Podtober. I loved hearing about how the UK celebrates Halloween. I can't say I'm surprised that the subject of candy corn became a topic of discussion again. As we all know, Joey just loves the stuff and will elaborate on their deliciousness when provoked. That's right. Uh, The tale of the Midnight Ride is very similar to candy corn. It's sweet and satisfying in the moment, but doesn't leave you with much of a lasting impression. 
The story is a very middle of the road rescued by a handful of solid characters and good performances. The guy playing Ian did an excellent job in channeling a young Crispin Glover, which enhanced an already fun and quirky character. That's a good call. Um, The one-liners and witty comebacks that Ian rattled off are some of the best lines in the series. Much of the story took place in the woods, and I'll admit I was distracted by this. I'm not sure if you guys noticed, but most of the leaves on the trees were still green, which kind of took away some of that Halloween-iness. The forest location was also unrealistic for the place the makers were trying to recreate. A few years ago, I visited Sleepy Hollow in Terrytown, and they didn't look anything like what is shown here. Today, the whole area is highly urbanized and industrialized, being more like a large city than a small rural town. Because of this, I felt a minor disconnect with the story, and I would have to mentally relocate the setting to somewhere else whenever I would rewatch it, like a New New England or a parallel universe version of the town. What a sad fact that many people still think Sleepy Hollow looks like this sleepy little village that's been uh, depicted in the media for the last 200 years, when in reality it's just another sprawling concrete suburb of New York City. It's a realization that makes you feel kind of hollow. Uh, rating three crep stars, and are you afraid to name the episode "The Tale of the Exploding Horseman"? Uh, sincerely, Jacob. Yeah, nice one. Yeah, thanks, Jacob. Yeah, pre- always great to hear from. Yeah, appreciate all your thoughts. Um, um you know what? I do want to say one thing before we go. Yeah. I forgot. Uh, and you can cut whatever percentage of this if you want out. Um. I do want to just say thanks to everybody for the birthday wishes, whoever sent them. It was very nice of you. Um, and I want to say to Quincy Poet, humbling that I could inspire anybody to write and just want to tell you to, all you got to do is do it. Yeah. Um, you'll get there. So awesome. Um, and also uh, Joe's birthday is right around the corner here somewhere. <laughs> yeah. I just want to wish him a very happy uh boc birthday oh thanks friend hey happy birthday yeah Yeah. a couple of february uh birthday guys yeah uh fine month for it (laughs) (laughs) i wish you a happy birthday i wish you a happy birthday yes you did thank you very much oh no no i wasn't looking for praise i just want to double check that i (laughs) yeah (laughs) usually melissa keeps me up to date with whose birthdays are up max is fishing here (laughs) max i better get a text at midnight (laughs) <laughs> uh well thank you andrew and yeah thank you to everyone who sent in their uh kind thoughts uh about andrew that's uh really nice uh we you know i think pretty well on the record at this point of like you know we feel really lucky that we have kind of the listeners we have who are just really thoughtful and kind yeah, absolutely um well speaking of thoughtful andrew what are we doing next <laughs> next episode we're going to be talking about one of i think most listeners favorite shows wienerville (laughs) a little episode called zip stuck in the vcr yeah i think if 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 it's the right if it's the right we might be doing zip stuck in vcr or whatever wienerville's available (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) this one just sounded uh pretty humorous yeah yeah right uh, we'll plan on zip uh, stuck in VCR, and if that if that's not actually the right one on uh, Daily Motion, we'll we'll notify you of the change. 
Um, but yeah, it's our first foray into Wienerville, which will be fun. Yeah. Yeah, we've talked about it a lot, kind of, yeah. like, on the fringes of other stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll cool. have a first-time guest on with us who is uh, his whole... Uh, he loves Wienerville. I mean, he was like, he's been letting us know for a while. If we do it, let him know. And uh, probably better to have someone who actually knows a lot about the show. Oh. Yeah, for sure. And give Wienerville some love. I think it <laughs> deserves it, really. You know. I guess. Um, yeah, we'll see, I guess. Uh, in the meantime, if you want to reach out, you can find us on Twitter at BOC Podcast, Instagram at Orange Couch Podcast. You can email us like Jacob did at orangecouchpodcast at gmail.com. You can hear us on Podbean, iTunes, Spotify. Leave a review. That's uh, the best way for other people to find us or tell a friend, uh, I guess. Uh, and speaking of friends, Max, your old punching bag. A punching oh. bag? Oh. <laughs> I'm just joking. Hey. You guys are the best. Max, you are the best for joining oh, I'm us. Just, I just can't wait for, you know, this this uh, vaccination to come out. Yeah. Vaccine, rather. And, uh, you know, so we can get together, hang out, play some Catan. We're, we're getting there. I got I got my first shot. Did you? Yeah. And by, Congratulations. And uh, I'm soon to get my second, so I'll be out there licking doorknobs and... <laughs> <laughs> I'll just go into town. I'll just be outside your house uh, waving and <laughs> no, no, no. Keep wearing your masks, people. Even if you're vaccinated, stay, stay the hell away from each other. Yes, yes. Yeah, keep, keep being smart. Uh, and on that note, uh, we hope we'll see you all next episode. Walk like an Egyptian. Walk like an Egyptian. Gotta get these notes. Yeah, sure.